Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am your host, Joel Harder. The conversations we've been having on The Leaders We Need this season have just been fantastic. I cannot say enough about all of the guests we've had so far, and we have many more lined up. So please, if you're not already subscribed to The Leaders We Need, wherever you get your podcasts, you can click and subscribe. You can rate us, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know what you think, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of. We also really do want to hear from you. As we continue with these conversations, the feedback we get from listeners will be incorporated into future episodes, questions that we will address from you, and questions that you can put forward to leaders in our state. So be sure to subscribe to the leaders we need. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to wrap up my conversation with Senator George Young from Oklahoma City. If you missed the first part of this conversation, be sure and check it out. Senator Young shared a bit of his background. He went back into his history and looked at the things that really shaped his leadership, the people who really informed the way he views the work that he does, both in the Capitol and in life, in our state, in our community, in our nation. Go check that out. Today on the podcast, I asked Senator Young to talk a little bit about the caucus system. We often know what a caucus is. We think of the political caucuses based upon party and how that works as far as a majority and a minority caucus who gets control of certain functions in the House, committee chairs, and so forth. But there are a lot of different caucuses that operate in the state capital. There's the Veterans Caucus, there's the Women's Caucus, there is the Education Caucus, and Senator Young talked a little bit about the Legislative Black Caucus, the work that they have done, some of the things he's really proud of, the great accomplishments that that has happened in his time serving both as chair and as a member of the Legislative Black Caucus. This conversation about the caucus system is so insightful about how things really do work in the state capitol, how leaders that you may not think have a whole lot to collaborate on or work together on, maybe you think that they're just in opposition to each other. No, there's a lot of really great work that brings them together, and it's not always on party lines that they will work together. Senator Young shares some of the great accomplishments that they've made, some of the relationships and ways that he's been able to work across the aisle and across the state with other members of the state legislature to get great work done for the people of Oklahoma. Well, let's jump in to my conversation wrapping up with Senator George Young on the leaders we need. Capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. You've already talked a little bit about the two parties and the the way in which practically, pragmatically, you've got the the party system and that you form into caucuses. And 
perhaps people are more familiar with this word, this term of a caucus and, and the idea of caucusing in terms of political party, because that's mm-hmm. how you understand, you know, that you got the Democrats, you've got the Republicans, sure. and that's how you form that majority minority makeup. And that will in t- then in turn practically play into how different structures are put in place and committee leadership is put in place. And people may be familiar with caucus in those terms, but there are a number of caucuses and Mm -hmm. you have served and have chaired, I know specifically the legislative black caucus, but, but there's the veterans caucus and the education caucus. And I mean, there's a number of these different caucuses. And so I would love to really talk about the legislative black caucus, but just to, to start with just what is the purpose of, of a caucus in general, and then kind of how does that purpose and function play out specifically with the legislative black caucus? Great question. Uh, obviously, there are interests, interests. There are points of interest that people bring to uh, the political arena, and those are significant interests. They're important interests, the interests that need special attention. And so, and generally, as a politician, a senator, or a state representative, you have the welfare of the state. Mm-hmm. That's that's foundational. The welfare of every citizen of the state. That's that's my job. I don't. I just can't worry about Northeast Oklahoma City. I have to have the welfare of the entire state, from Poto all the way to the Panhandle to Miami, Oklahoma to Idaville, Lawton. I have a district, and my district is in Oklahoma City. But when I vote, I vote on legislation that affects the whole state, and so right. I have to have that. But there are particular particular interests that that are valuable and that need to have some special attention, that's where caucuses come in. And so obviously as an African-American, there are issues that affect African-Americans that are significant enough Mm -hmm. that those members who are African-American should come together and talk about those issues so that they can be brought to the larger group in a way as to say, these are some things that we feel from our, because I, I talk to African-Americans from across the state. I, I'm not the uh, chair now, but when mm-hmm. I was, I traveled across the state talking to uh, African-Americans across the state because I was chair of the Black Caucus. And the fact is that uh, there are not only Tulsa and Oklahoma City, but you have large African-American populations in Muskogee, Okmulgee, Lawton, Idaville. I mean, and large populations of African-Americans that have issues that maybe they don't have an African-American representative or senator, but yet those issues are important. And they want, Joe, they want someone who looks like them, right. who yeah. understands some of what they're going through, to be able to talk to, not that their senator, not that their representative is not responsive. I'm not saying that. I am saying they know that sometimes someone who has some ideas to what you've gone through, what they've gone through, let me share that with you. And so they can share it with me and I can bring that back as part of the whole when looking at the issues that impact the state of Oklahoma. And so that's why it's it's important. Early child, I'm a member, and I'll use this example, I remember the early childhood caucus. That's an important caucus to me, not just for black children in early childhood and the trauma that black children face in the but all across the state nutrition education kindergarten head start uh first through third grade that's an important time for any child in any state in any country and so that's an important caucus to me because I feel like if we as a state can can do something to help and to build up that particular 
group of interest in the state, our children who may be suffering because of whatever, our funding, whatever, we need to pay close attention to it. Yeah, I just mentioned trauma for African-American kids, but for kids who live all across, you know, you got issues in the rural areas that are just as significant as urban areas and childhood development is important. And the sooner we pay attention to that, the better chance we have of being a success in trying to bring that to a point where we have it under control. So being an African-American, likewise, uh, the uh, Oklahoma Legislative Black Caucus is important to bring those issues. You, you, and, and all of us are aware of 2020 and the things that occurred uh, all across this nation. People were, I don't want to say frightened, but they were placed on alert all over this country because of those things. And so uh, when people called me, it was because nothing had happened but they were fearful about yeah. what might happen and they wanted to share with their elected officials, but they wanted to share with their elected officials who maybe, maybe had a better idea of their fear and their concern than someone who was not like them. And so I think it's ultimately important that we have caucuses, not that those caucuses have too much power, but have enough power to bring the issues uh, to the larger bodies. And so that's why I think it's very important. And so I, I, I was very fortunate to be uh, the chair of the Oklahoma Legislative Black Caucus and yeah. to be able to travel the state and to hear the concerns of African-Americans who are part of the state of Oklahoma, who uh, want Oklahoma to be just as great as any other state and they have that in their heart. And so that to me is why we have caucuses. And I think they're important. I don't have any any problem of it, number of two or three different caucuses, yeah. because I think it's important that, uh, because I have an interest in, you know, I'm trying to get in the veterans caucus. I've never served, <laughs> but you heard my story. I had two brothers. I had yeah. a sister. I had a father who were all in the military. And I respect, that's an important part of my life. And I expect their, respect their contribution. And so I've asked, and so I've been invited. I'm going to start attending the oh, veterans wow. caucus because yeah. I think it's very important and I can see the significance of that and how our veterans are treated and how our veterans are seen. And so I participated. As a matter of fact, I was the uh, legislator of the year for the Oklahoma Democratic Veterans because I, I believe in them. I, I try to participate with them and I try to support them in every way that I can. And I love the way you've really explained that. It lets you come together and focus on specific issues and needs from a very specific perspective that is people coming with different backgrounds and perspectives that, that really do contribute to that conversation and can help create more thoughtful and effective conversations into the larger body. Just from my observation as well, so often in, in the public perception of our politics, everything is just a partisan conversation of right or left, Republican or Democrat. And one of the things I really advocate is that not that national politics are not important, but to focus more on state and local politics. There, There is really a lot that is happening at the state and local level that, quite frankly, breaks down some of that belief and mm -hmm. rhetoric around, around the partisanship. But the caucus system lets you, as members, gather together and meet together and convene together around specific sure. issues that does also cross just the Republican Democrat That's part, right. you know, party lines. And, and so it's just another wonderful way in which our leaders can kind of confound the, the narrative that seems to just be accepted so much uh, in, in our public discourse. Just, just point to a couple key things quickly. And I, I know I've, I've indulged on your time, but 
either as chair or, or a member of the caucus, what are a few things that the caucus has done that you're particularly proud of, things that y'all have worked on or accomplished? Yeah. Well, when I, when I started looking at that, the, one of the first things is that we worked a couple of years ago when I was chair of the caucus. One of the things that you, you, you'll remember, the many instances where individuals of color had been stopped and the outcome of that police law enforcement stop was not good, yeah. was not a good thing. And it, it became a really big issue that uh, what occurs when the officer stops you, when law enforcement stops you, what rights does law enforcement have? What right does an individual citizen have? And that was a really big deal. You know, people talk about having the talk. I had to talk with my son and my mm-hmm. daughter when they were younger, when they got their license about, you know, uh, making sure that you do all the right things when law enforcement stops you. But one of the things that I saw, I, uh, I got a call from a friend in Dallas who was part of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators and said, we're trying to move across this this nation, uh, these sets of things that we want to be uh, codified either in law or in some form that everyone has them that says, one, this is the responsibility of law enforcement they stop you. This is your obligation and responsibility. And I was given those things and I was looking and, and was going to trying to get those implemented in Oklahoma and started looking at legislation. It was in the middle of the year, so it would have been the next year. But I took the extra step because I had a relationship at that time with the director of public safety. I called him directly and said, listen, mm-hmm. this is what I got. You know, he, he agreed. We, we've got problems with this, this stopping and things that happen because people don't fully understand. That's not the whole problem, but part of it, people don't fully understand the rights sure. of the officer, the rights of law enforcement, the rights of the citizen when you get stopped. And we had these whole list of things. I went through that, sent them to them, sent it to him. We talked about it a couple of times. And, uh, you know, he said, you don't need the legislation for that. What we can do is we can incorporate that into the driver's license manual for the state of Oklahoma yeah. and create a new section that they will have questions on and it can be in there and we can promote it so they can get out and people will know that there's a new section in there. We had a press conference with the director of public safety and uh, got that implemented. I was very proud of the fact that yeah. we got that uh, into the drivers. It's not something that we did as a law that goes up on the shelf and it only takes effect when someone gets arrested. No, in every driver's license manual that now is printed in the state of Oklahoma, um, you have that section about the responsibilities of the law enforcement officer and your responsibility and rights as a citizen. And so I was very proud of that. Probably the second thing that I'm most proud of is when I first got in office, this was before I was even chair, but I brought this to our chair of the Black Caucus, the first African-American to serve in the Oklahoma legislature was Albert Comstock uh, Hamlin from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And uh, Representative Hamlin, he um, served only one term because that very term was when they voted in a a grandfather law that said, unless you were free, your parents were free, you couldn't run for office. Mm. And so he could only serve one term. But he did. A.C. Hamlin served that one term. To celebrate him, back in 87, if I'm right, maybe 97, they passed a um, bill to name part of I-35 north of Guthrie in his honor. Mm -hmm. And every time I read that about him, there was always a notation, but no signage has ever been placed. No signage has ever been placed. And so I was very proud to be able to bring that in through my work and the work of the Black Caucus, that if you drive up I-35 right north of Guthrie or coming back 
uh, south on I-35 coming to Oklahoma City, you will see uh, A.C. Hamlin Memorial Highway that has been named and we got that signage up. It's those kind of things that are meaningful to people like Absolutely. me that when they see it, that, that lifts our spirits, lifts our hope. Those kind of things that are very helpful, I think very important in bringing about unity, bringing about a historical context for people yeah. to know that, uh, you know, things can happen, things can get done. And so I think that, and I could talk about things that have occurred in many other caucuses that have brought about those same types of awareness. And so it is important that we have people who are grouped together, who are looking at issues that are important to the whole, mm -hmm. to the whole, not just to that group, but to the whole. And so I hope those two examples will uh, kind of lift uh, what I'm trying to explain. Yeah, well, and it is so clearly illustrated why I said what I did on the outset, that I am extremely proud and very well represented by you in the Senate. You are a very skilled and capable legislator and leader. And also, it's, this is a master class, too, of, of what does public service and elected leadership at the state level really look like. It's not just the grandstanding or running the bills, but sure. it's, sometimes it's those things such as because of the relationships you've built and the work that you do in the various caucuses to identify really something that is, I mean, you want to talk about something that is going to be literally on the street, making a significant impact and, yes. and hopefully and prayerfully helping people. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's something you identify perhaps intending a legislative process, but you discover it's something that you can go and work with an agency leader and implement. And those things don't get our attention. They're not, that's not what the news right. leads with and runs with, but that's right. what, that's what true leadership that's making the state a better place looks like. And I, I am grateful and I, I honor you for doing that. Just in, in the last few moments we have, sure. you, you know, we've talked about where we are and, and I've so appreciated your hopeful perspective that's deeply rooted in the life you've lived and the things you've seen and the places you've been across those those events that are a significant part of our history. What gives you the most hope for civility, for a growing unity in our politics in the future? Well, I knew you were going to bring me back to it, and so let, let me... Let me answer that in this way. And the best way is, is, is a one of my favorite hymns at the church. My hope is built on nothing yeah. less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, yeah. but wholly lean on Jesus' name. My faith, my faith. I don't I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to display it. I don't have to wear it. I don't have to it is it is my faith that continues to drive me and push me. And uh you know I hope more than anything else that it's my faith that comes through in the way that I treat people, in the way that I talk to people, in the way that I try to handle situations. Uh, you you mentioned the word optimism early on. Listen, uh, hope springs eternal, not because we say that, but because we serve a God who gives us hope in the midst of in the midst of awful and terrible situations, we've got to still hold on to the to the possibility of what God can do. It's upon us, and so you know, people ask me all the time, "Well, how do you handle uh, you know religion and politics?" And it's not a struggle. There's not a, a yeah. clashing for me. It is my whole being is covered by my faith, by 
what I believe and how I treat people and how I approach problems is through my the lenses of my faith. Over the years, how I've developed that faith and tried to bring it. Am I always successful? No. You know, I fall and fall, falter like everyone else. Even now, as, as back in the pulpit again, as an interim pastor at, at a local church, I'm still trying to regain my balance in a lot of mm-hmm. things. But it is, it is, Joel, uh, to be honest with you, my faith that, you know, we, we serve a God who's able to to help us to be able to overcome the obstacles. Have we done that? No. So do we give up? No, God mm-hmm. has not given up on us. And so uh, someone said to me uh, early on that, you know, you don't, to be a pastor, when I, I wasn't a pastor, I was not a pastor when I first got it, I said, but to be a pastor, you don't talk much about God. I said, no, because I try to live it. I yeah. try to be it, you know. And yeah. so I, I try to be that which I teach and which I, I lead. And so I, I, I do, because, you know, it, it is significant and important to me that people would see something that helps them to move on in life through my life than for me to talk about something that would help them to lead on and lead in their lives. And so, you know, I I am uh, hopeful. I am optimistic that I believe in tomorrow. I believe in our young people. I believe in the things that we have going. I think that, uh, you know, every day is a new day that God has given us and that we can accomplish those things that will help us to move just a little further, just a little further, get a little closer to where God wants us to be. And so I don't have to, you know, talk about that a whole lot. I try to live it a lot more. And so that would be my answer, man. That is that is it. I don't say it, but that's that's really, really what it is. And I, I wish I lived it as much as I claim to. I wish I was much better at it than that. I'm not as, and I like to say to to the folks, I'm not as holy as I'd like to be, but uh, I surely try to uh, do what my parents taught me first off and then what God has blessed me to be able to be. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.